are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. I am indeed your gracious and your grateful host. I love doing that kind of thing. I love this. I love this job. It doesn't pay anything. Um, hope you're all doing well today, tonight, uh, 4 a.m., wherever you may be in this big world. Uh, thank you for asking yet again. I am doing quite well. I, um, I'm just having a blast. I... Um, I helped this guy who's a, a, I'm a caregiver for this. I may have mentioned this that no one's listening to. Anyway, he is a, just a most wonderful human being I've ever known, quite frankly, in my life. Um, disabled, but not really. He's a, he's a genius. So I got to work with him today again, and I am back, and he's incredible. It just fills my soul, quite frankly. But I am rambling on apropos of probably nothing because, well, because I'm, rambling. But um, I do want to introduce this next guest. Look at that. A guy named Steven Schneider. Holy God almighty, this guy was fantastic. What a cool dude. Um, a reference from another cool dude named Andrew Trapani. Trapani? I can never get the guy's last name right. Um, it's his fault. So he introduced me to Steven. Steven's amazing. And so here's the deal on this guy. He has produced uh, and was a producer, like massive producer for the films like Paranormal Activity and the sequels, Insidious and the sequels. The guy's on like 50 movies. He did one called Lords of Salem, which is this Rob Zombie movie. It's bananas, as you would expect. Um, it, the M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan movies uh, he's done uh, from like The Visit On. And guy's like on fire. And, I, and that's not it. He's also, this is my favorite part, honestly. He's got his got his master's degrees in philosophy from fucking Harvard and the University of London in cinema studies, for God's sakes, at New York University. And so he ended up talking about Carl Jung, because that's how these shows go, obviously. Um, he ended up talking about, there's this book called Easy Rider Raging Bulls. It's like the oral history of all the batshit insane stuff that the directors used to do back in the 70s. Fantastic film. He had this fan amazing, I love this guy. He has this entire like academic side to him. We wrote an entire paper on horror film and psychoanalysis, Freud's worst nightmare. Wow, this guy's cool. Um, once again, as usual, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did making it. Uh, oh, and we also got to talk about like underground directors like Abel Ferrara and Harmony Corinne. Where are you getting that kind of conversation anywhere else on the internet, folks? You ain't. <laughs> I have lost my mind. Bye-bye. Here's the dude. All right. Inspired minds, dazzled throng. Please, my goodness, this show is going to be great. Please welcome the lovely and talented Stephen Schneider. Stephen Schneider, please say hello to the audience. Hello, audience. My goodness. Well, uh, Stephen, I like to start this show off with the same question. Every single person, and that is, when you were young... What was the first thing that you can remember that truly inspired you? Was it a song or a book, movie? What do you got? Um, you start with uh, a, a good one, a challenging one. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I think there was a book um, called Bob Fulton's Terrific Time Machine. Huh. That um, I probably read when I was, I don't know, nine, something like that. And it was about a young boy genius who, um, sorry, um, who had carried around a bag filled with all sorts of useful things like 
um, a measuring tape, a magnifying glass, a pocket knife, aspirin. And, you know, it was, it was, it had everything. And I remember going to summer camp, sleepaway camp. And I think I put a lot of shit in the bag if I'm, I'm allowed to curse, right? And just felt more in control of the universe (laughs) during a, during a, a, a time um, when things were starting to get a little bit out of control in my life. Um, so I don't know if that's, I, I, it seems like a, a, a decent first attempt at answering that great question. You, you've done very well. You get the, uh, you get the crown. Now, right so part B of this little uh, existential uh, discussion is how did that get you to where you are now? Is there a through line? Um. Let's see. I mean, there are ways, different levels of answer to that. Probably, um, love of reading. Maybe the maybe the most important, best answer to that question. And maybe I don't need to overcomplicate it. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, and and I say that just like reading as, um, as you know. personal and professional, right? Those lines are always sort of blurred. And so reading as, as a companion, reading for knowledge, reading for comfort, um, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I I, I can go with that. That's fantastic. I love the question because there's obviously no wrong answers. So it's just, it's amazing to watch that through line, that arrow that people can have. Um, I really, I got to start off with this. So you have two master's degrees, one in philosophy, is that right, in cinema studies, Harvard or New York? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Incredible. Which, oh. obviously, I wanted to go into your massive film collection that you've worked on. I think you produced about 12,000 movies. Am I right about that? Oh, say, say it again. About 12,000 movies, I think you produced. Oh, 12,000. Um, getting there. Getting there. I'm not sure if that's actually a good thing, but... Um, yeah, um, I've been I've been somewhat prolific. I mean, there are people that are more prolific, and some that are less. But yeah, I've I've, I've been busy. Yeah, I, I did the math, and it looks like you've done at least released uh, fifty, including, by the way, congratulations on Knock at the Cabin. Loved it. Thank you. Yeah, it was fantastic. Oh, um, Thanks. It's a great setup. I do want to ask you, I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but let's, I kind of want to start off with your start with Paranormal Activity um, mm-hmm. as producer and kind of working on that and then be kind of shot out in of the canon, which I think kind of what happened with you, right? Yeah. In, yes. Um, with the caveat that I, I didn't enter the industry, film industry until much later than um, many other people. So I was shot out of a cannon, but but the cannon wasn't lit, if that's the right <laughs> metaphor, until, until rather late. So I was both like precocious and uh, already old when uh-huh. I started, if that makes sense. Right. Just out of curiosity, how old were you at that point? Oh, uh, probably during the math, carry the nine, um, late, late twenties. All right. That's just past getting your prefrontal cortex in order at 25. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, it was, it, it's not about the 
chronological age or anything. It's just that I, I had had this entirely uh, other career path, one that in many ways still feels antithetical to what I do now. Um, and so I felt like I had been around the block in a, in a you know significant way before I considered the possibility of um, producing movies for a living. So before that, you were looking at being a writer? No, I um, never that, but, but um, I was, you know, I was in, on the academic path in the humanities, right? Um, so, you know, studying um, literature and philosophy and then film theory um, through, you know, my, through most of my twenties and, um, gearing up for a, an academic, a, a career in, 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 academia, um, as a professor of some kind. Yeah, actually, I, it was, it was funny. I was reading, um, actually there's, there, there are really two things I want to call out in particular, but I was reading some of these things that you had written and it's, you know, they're sourced and cited. And that's the kind of writing that I had to do when I was in academia, uh, up until yes. recently when I got my degree and, right. It was just fascinating to me and, and to be able to take like a horror nerd perspective mm -hmm. on, and this is what I want to talk about because this is right up my alley, horror film mm -hmm. and psychoan uh, psychoanalysis, Freud's worst mm -hmm. nightmare. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what I loved about this, and I want you to kind of talk about this more, is fascinating to me. So I never really thought mm -hmm. about it, but this idea of the kind of repressed, you know, feelings and fears and anxieties and all that. That's the Freud thing. And then are you basically, are you saying that horror kind of is a way to um, express those subconscious fears? Um, one um, thing to say before I answer it in full is um, over the years, I have, um, you know, forgotten so much more than I ever even learned um, when I was studying uh, this stuff. But, but yes, is the answer. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, horror is like, it's fascinating to talk about um, in, in that on the face of it, it begs a question, a really important one, like why, you know, this perennially popular genre in popular culture, uh, in the arts, you know, film, books, other media, why are young people in particular so attracted to watching things and reading stories and you know hearing that, that um if 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 confronted with these things in real life would be awful mm -hmm. so there, there there must be a deeper there must be a you know an interesting deep reason for that and psychoanalysis you know, raises its hand when it comes to that kind of thing and offers theories. And, and yeah. you know, certainly for a period of time, I, I believed in those wholeheartedly and probably still do. And, I, you know, as a philosophy guy, I'm sure you also know Jung pretty well. And, you know, Jung talk, I love Jung, you know, talk about, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the river of unconsciousness that we have beneath us and the connections and all that. Yes, uh, definitely. Do you see that all, all, horror? Sorry. Say it again. I'm sorry. Do you see that young kind of in horror or where do you see that fit? Um, I mean, I didn't delve into 
the Jungian stuff much at all. Um, yeah, I sort of have these like, what do you call it? Lacuna, lacuna, like, like a massive areas in which I'm, I'm not as well versed. I think that with young, it's like this idea of a shared um, sort of not fully conscious, right. Understanding yeah. that, that we don't have to, that is sort of um, almost genetic in our DNA at this point. Um and so, I mean, it's totally relevant. So were the the archetypes. Um, now I am thinking back to, I think the application of young Jungian theory to horror that I can recall is uh, there was a book by a guy named James Iacchino where he he looked at like just various archetypes, like the trickster, you know. So he'd look at like Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street and talk about how that's you know, a manifestation of a Jungian archetype in, in contemporary horror cinema. So, I mean, it's, it's all there to be unpacked for sure. Yeah, it really is. Um, how about we move to something uh, less heady? <laughs> so, I, there's yeah. another one I wanted to call out that I so, I love this so much. It was the piece on, um, on underground filmmaking. And mm. you had specifically called out like Abel Ferraro is a massive fan. Um, Harmony mm. Corinne, I hadn't seen that name in a while. And I just love that idea of like the grit of cinema, of the idea of being able to just go on the ground and like just shoot something on a Super 8 still these days. Mm-hmm. Do you see, I guess the question ultimately is, do you see that type of guerrilla filmmaking get uh, more of an audience with streaming and all that? Or is it still tamped down underground? Um, I would say the latter more than the former. I think that the the prospect of um you know, what, what streaming i guess offers the possibility of or the prospect of is um an opening up like in theory you know anybody can watch anything at any time i mean that's the sort of end point on like that's the 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 ultimate um, in streaming, right, is where everything is. It's sort of a dream come true for, for a fan of movies. A- anything and everything that's ever been put on film and or digital, whatever, can be accessed at the swipe of a hand or touch of a button immediately. I mean, as a kid growing up in New York City, and you know, I used to run to Kim's Video and wherever I lived in Greenwich Village, and you know, was desperate to track down these weird. I call them underground movies. Some of them were horror. Some of them were unclassifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were the, the part of the fun, but also part of the frustration was the near impossibility of accessing them. Right. Um, and again, streaming um, could be the answer to that on the one hand. So, so it would open up to, to get back to your question, open up the possibility of, people being exposed to th- this different language of filmmaking that is the non-traditional or not not Hollywood language. Um, but at the same time, I wonder, you know, I don't I don't know that that's in fact happening or we're moving towards that. I it does to me feel like we are um, the homogenization of content is, you know, um, only ever getting worse. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, in the music business, we kind of grappled with this a little before the film industry did mm. solely because of, of, of uh, a broadband. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing a, if you're in a movie, you can do it now, but back then we're talking Jesus 15, whatever it was years ago, more than that. And you know, it was interesting too, because there was this theory. And again, it was a theory that, you know, if you have an, if you have an entire buffet, everyone's going to eat everything off the buffet. And it doesn't work that way, you know? Yeah. Because, so, because people can't even see the other ends of the buffet. All they see is a mountain of gelatinous fill in the blank that's in front of them. And they're going to mm-hmm. eat it. Right. And believe me, I love gelatinous bullshit. I mean, I'm a big fan of like, you know, that kind of entertainment and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the edges, that's where at least, you know, it's a bell curve, right? So in the film, in the music industry, we had to adapt and did with very, I say we, it's been 10 years since I've been in basically, but, you know, we kind of had to adapt. The film industry's adaptation is interesting to me because, and if you want to comment on this, I'd love to hear it, about theaters. Because I can still get a seat basically in any theater by myself, uh, at least during the, during the weeks. And so is theater participation or sorry, is theater um, uh, attendance going down since COVID? Um, I think that, and by the way, the first thing you said there is really interesting and um, resonates with me. Um, Just putting that out there that um, just because anything may be um, accessible doesn't mean that we're we are actually accessing them. Yeah. Uh, we might just be so. And by the way, the answer to that for me is uh, curation. But we can talk about that at any point. Um, but theater going, I mean, um, you know, it, it seems like COVID scared everybody away from theaters, mm-hmm. um, and now it's unclear, right? Um, people now that we've adapted to a different normal when it comes to the experience of watching movies and TV. Um, Do we, it's like Zooms, like, you know, uh, now it's, you know, people aren't going, in my business, people aren't going, they're not pitching things in person anymore, even though they can, because why should they? So that's sort of the same thing. So I, I, you know, I think, um, in a way, you know, if you're thinking about in terms of stock, like, um, you could buy pretty low right now on the theater going experience. And that might be a really interesting bet to make that, that will adapt again. Um, and make, you know, there's something, look, there's something distinctive and unique and very special and magical about theater going, as you know, um, and, so maybe we just have to figure out new ways of of attracting people, um, and and then it'll it'll spike again in, in a, or go up in the in, a, in the right way again. You know, I really hope so because um, and actually, let me backtrack for a second, then I'll get to what I'm saying now. It's kind of connected. You had mentioned about going to the video store, right, and like finding mm-hmm. this stuff that no one can. I used to work at one. I'm that old, right? And <laughs> I also used to work at a record store when that was a thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was that tactile experience, you know, you get in your car, you drive, you invest, you invest, you invest time, you invest money, and you get to have that physical experience with somebody behind the counter who can guide you to the cure or REM or fill in the blank. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's a lost art. And, but it's that, it's that emotional connection that you can have when you're standing in front of another person and your brains are suddenly mm-hmm. wiring together because you're nerding out about Pink Floyd or Beatles or whatever it is. And, you know, and again, back to the video story thing, it was the same thing. People would come in and I'd be like, oh, there's Kurosawa and, you know, there's Michael Bay or like whatever it was. So my thing, and I'm curious to get your take on this, actually, because the record stores themselves had to essentially evolve into offering an experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also, too, you can get that Lou Reed record for $1,000. So they're appealing mm-hmm. to a certain niche, and I kind of think that's where the theaters are already heading and going to head. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think you're probably at least partly right. Um, at least partly, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, look, I mean, there are several things in what you're talking about. Um, the, the look, because it's, it's applicable to books as well. Right. I mean, Kindle, you know, versus yeah. Barnes and Noble, um, you know, so bookstores went away after Amazon, right. It took, you know, became dominant, but now I guess I just read somewhere that like Barnes and Nobles made a comeback because they are taking a, maybe a more curatorial approach or something about the, 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 it's been reinvented and you use the word evolve. So maybe it is, I just don't know what the final evolution of the theater going experience will be. Is it going to be something that costs three times as much as it does now because you can get, you know, ship. there's a movie theater where I live, um, you know, where it, it probably costs, you know, 30 bucks or something, but you can order off a menu to your seat. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Um, is it like going to a Broadway show? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. And, and I think, again, you're, I think some version of that is probably true that it'll be, it'll be different. And, um, it, it, it you know, why would we go to a bookstore when we have a virtual one? Well, um, I mean, I have my own reasons why, but I don't know how much of that is purely nostalgia. Um, you know, uh, we have to be drawn to it. It's it's all very interesting. <laughs> it, it, it's so fascinating talking about this kind of thing, especially with a horror nerd like you are and I, and I am, because um, there, I found this on YouTube. It was amazing. And if I can find it to you or I'll send it to you. It's like someone had taken um, film of – people watching The Exorcist back in New York, like back in the day in 77, and they're mm-hmm. freaking out, right? Like everyone's up screaming and waving their arms. And it's that biology of the room, right? Yeah. Because you can feel it too. You can feel someone next to you when you can, all your neurons are flying left and right. And it's this experience of shouting and screaming, screaming or screaming and whatever. And obviously mm-hmm. you miss that. And that's what's so heartbreaking for me as a movie fan and as a music fan. Because, you know, live music is pretty much, that's like a huge hit in the industry. Um, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, um, it's sort of apropos because uh, to this conversation in general, because Paranormal Activity um, had this guerrilla sort yes. of marketing campaign where they they brought back a technique that you was previously used in the fifties by William Castle and other hard people where they would shoot the audience, uh, film the audience reaction and, and Hitchcock too, you know? Um, And then they used that in the trailers rather than show much content 
terms of the movie itself, they showed people freaking out. And that was just, you know, an old idea made new again, and it really helped us. And and then a lot of other movies, of course, piggybacked off that, like they, like, you know, that's how the business works in a good way. But um, so, yeah, that that's a really important part of horror in particular, and probably comedy too, the communal feeding off of each other's energy, you know, and emotion. Yeah, absolutely. I forgot that was a castle move. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, he, I think you know he was um, into anything. You know, he. I mean, what an original thinker, just in terms of marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? You know, you should you should bring back. And I'm just this is a freebie. This is a freebie. Bring back the old yeah. castle thing of like. Like your next movie, no one will be seated in the last ten minutes or whatever gag that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I would use anything and everything I I, I can come up with uh, if it'll help. <laughs> guy was such a genius. Like what a carnival barker he was. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did want to ask you just kind of a general question. I'm sure you've been asked this a billion times. Um, how do you find a a project or in a metaphysical sense, existential sense, does a project find you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I have been asked that before, of course, and I really love that question um, because it's it's so it's I love that question because I don't know the answer. Uh. I don't, and and therefore, it's a question that. Uh, it, with all honesty and and humility, I ask myself every day. I'm an independent producer, which means primarily that I'm nobody's paying me just to do what I do. I have to, you know, I have to sell to make money, and and I have to get things made. Right. Um, and therefore, it's there's anxiety around that, right? Like, I, I don't know. I I don't know. I the the, the real answer is. Um, that it's a, it's a, a smell thing. I, I, I sniff around mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully my, and I, I don't know really why something clicks or not for mm-hmm. me, but, but I guess it's really the following, um, you know, I'm, <clears throat> my dad was, um, he sold clothing, you know, my grandfather, I think sold like crayons or some shit. Um, My point is like, I come from a family of, you know, people throughout whatever, however many generations where they they were salesmen and women. Um, And I'm the same fundamentally, but what my product is invisible. Um, I'm selling ideas for movies and that's much more ephemeral and uh, ambiguous or whatever those words are, right? Like, so uh, where do I find ideas for movies? You know, um, it could be, you know, my neighbor mentioning something or it could be in the newspaper if I read a thing or or it could be an old movie or a, a, a new one in another language. It Anything and everything is, anything and everything is, a, a candidate. Um, and I guess the real thing is to, to remain 
pure or innocent when it comes to assessing, you know what I mean? Like just sort of opening myself up to the possibility of whatever I'm ingesting being, (laughs) being something that I can convert into, um, you know, a feature length, cool story. I'm going to give you a quote from Keith Richards that will resonate with what you're just saying. Quote is, Somebody asked him, like for the billionth time, uh, how do you write your songs? And he says, you know, with keys in his hair or whatever the hell was going on, he says, hey, man, you just got to be a lightning rod. And I mm. thought, that's that's it. It's fucking brilliant. Because the songs mm. are already out there for him, right? Mm. How do you be a lightning rod? And I think it's really more of a tuning fork. And the reason I use that example is because you have to be present, I think. Kind of like what mm. you're saying. You have to walk into it with childlike eyes of, it's a story. And when you are, when you're that tuning fork, when you're that lightning rod, then you are, you definitely are this, you're story aware. I keep telling my clients mm-hmm. this all the time, that there's stories mm-hmm. flying around you like butterflies every day, beginning and middle and an end. You don't know it. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen it yet, mm-hmm. but they're there. And the key is if you can pull out the, if, if you can pull out the beginning and a middle and an end and get a meaning out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the er meaning, meaning of it, mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. got something. And mm-hmm. I think that is kind of what you're talking about in a, in a way now. Yes, very much. I like that, um, that idea of being a tuning fork for sure. Um, the, one of the challenges for me and maybe for others is being, when we talk about purity, I, I guess there, the, the very best producers that I know when it comes to identifying material are the ones who have maintained or established and then maintained a really sort of high standard, um, you know, quality wise. And part of the challenge that I find is there are, you know, and there is an, as you're suggesting, an infinite number of ideas that are out there. And I need to make sure if I'm going to be successful over time that I, um, I'm, you know, that I don't let the desire to find something or the need, the desperation mm. to have a new thing, color my judgment about what's truly viable and worth, frankly, my time. Because as we get older, to, you know, our time becomes the most important commodity. So that's, you know, that's the challenge. It's not like, where do the ideas come from They're As you said, they're everywhere. It's more like, where do the ideas stop? Right. So that you can, how do you decide on what's worth pursuing? You know, this is actually a really good segue into what the, usually the last question I ask, and this is a pretty heady one, but you just nailed it. Um, you asked it basically, which is as a creative, when do you know you're done? <laughs> Well, in my line of work, if we've done our job right and if we get lucky because that's how you succeed in Hollywood, I think, is through working hard and getting lucky. Um, when, If and when that happens, that wonderful alchemy combination of things, um, in the horror genre in particular, then you start talking about a sequel. So, so the answer is like, you know, you're done 
until there's an opportunity to keep going and then you're opening it all back up again and figuring it out. So I guess um, that's not a great answer, but, but, but I guess the point is, um, look, every story to me has, the, the way I see it, a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. And um, I can tell you that like in horror, it seems to be the case that if you end strong, that is if you can be really scary, really late in the movie, mm -hmm. your chances of succeeding are a lot higher. So there's a tremendous incentive to figure out how to end on a, a really scary note and then yeah. get out. <laughs> so yeah, right. maybe that's the short answer. But again, once the movie works and people start talking about building that IP and continuing and making a lot, you know, more yeah. money. And then it's like, well, we didn't really end it there, you know? Sure. Uh, so it's all sort of horseshit. Well, you know, speaking of IP, I mean, while we're talking about this, my God, paranormal activity, I think you're up to like paranormal activity 20. I think at this point it's getting close. Um, getting close. And in city same thing, like Jesus Christ, talk about IP. And what I'm, I mean, and also, by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Lords of Salem, I'm a big mm. fan of that whole thing. Yeah, cool movie. I was just, I'm a big fan of that whole genre or horror in mm. general, but also kind of that, uh, you know, that Rob Zombie drag strip, yeah. uh, 50s kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and all that. Yeah. But I guess yeah. ultimately, what I'm really curious about, well, actually, tell me a little bit about the M9 connection. I mean, you've been working with them for quite some time. Sure. Um, yeah, I had the good fortune of being introduced to him um, after, well, as he was developing his idea for a movie called The Visit, which was, yeah. you know, um, the first movie, uh, uh, it was a first for him in a number of ways. He had, I think at that point in his career, felt um, like he wanted to go in a, a different direction from the the studio the the bigger studio projects he'd been working on to doing something maybe that felt more akin to his earlier stuff or where he, he just felt like he could have more fun and have more control and all that the, the not a not a nothing unusual about that story right that idea but um he he was he had this idea for the visit and the format was you know a mock documentary and um, you know, he and I hit it off. Um, our, we both love movies, all kinds of movies. And, um, you know, I was just, he's, he's an incredible human being in, in many ways. And, um, and I think he felt like I had something to potentially contribute in that very specific space of found footage or mock doc, right. Cause of paranormal and several other movies that I had had worked on so we had you know a lot of fun you know um talking creative and uh, and then um it went you know it it was a good ultimately a good it was a hard experience in some ways and, and a very good one for him ultimately and um i think he then sort of had this new model where he would self-finance his productions and maintain those controls that are so important to an auteurist filmmaker in particular, mm -hmm. and then sell the finished product back to a studio. Um, and he's been doing that ever since to, you know, I think 
wonderful success and um he's kept me around so good for me good <laughs> good for me <laughs> absolutely yeah. um yeah. i have to bring this up by the way because this is this is maybe the kicker of before we go um i had purchased one of your books and i didn't realize that i had done that <laughs> that would be when you edited the amazing yeah. thousand and one movies you must see before you die yeah yeah um right that's me. Yeah. Um, I'm, you, you know, I'm not a great, um, how can I put it? Not a great salesman of myself when I, I had this sort of whole career going when I was an academic of editing and working on film cinema books. And, you know, um, 1001 movies was, you know, turned out to be a, a really fun, successful project, but I, used my middle name, Stephen J. Schneider. And then huh? when I went to Hollywood, I, I was worried somehow that it would be confusing. So I dropped the middle name and now nobody knows that it's the same <laughs> fucking guy. So uh, it's not surprising, I guess, that you didn't realize that it was me. And like, yeah, that's bad idea. I should have obviously, uh, yeah. You should have called me. Um, I will oh, say this yeah. about that about that book too. What I love about these kind of things, and it reminds me, it reminded me so much of Easy Rider, Raging Bull, which for those of you who are listening, probably checked out anyway at this point. It's this amazing oral history of the entire like sixties and seventies auteur movement and like bananas underground things. And the reason why yeah. I'm comparing them is solely because I remember going, it was like years ago, going through Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and just pulling out movies to watch. I forgot about mm-hmm. that movie. I got to watch that Coppola movie. I got to watch that Lucas movie. And I did the literally the same thing to 1001 for a long time, quite some time. So thank you. I love that. I love hearing that. And um, that goes back to what, you know, we touched on earlier about the value of curation, especially, you know, in a world where everything is accessible and therefore to your point, um, nothing it stands out and so we're 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 not you know it's weird it's it's ironic maybe like everything is at our fingertips and yet we're only looking at the things we already know right tragic and that's why curation is so incredibly valuable right um being having somebody to point to things that even if they aren't one of the thousand and one greatest movies whatever the fuck that actually means it's it's as long as it's something that you don't already know, right? Then it's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I learned about Melier, if I'm pronouncing his name right, through that list because I was like, "Wait, oh, that's right. He was a guy that did the Moon thing," and I went down that road. Yeah. Um, By the way, me too. When I did that book, you know, it's like, I, I, as you noted, I edited it. I didn't yeah. write all the entries, and so for me, it was just an incredibly. Um, you know, important and fun experience learning, you know, that these things even existed from people who were experts in their own area. You know what? That reminds it just 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 hit me. Why doesn't Netflix, Hulu, any of these streaming places, Amazon, why don't they have curated playlists? Like specifically because the music industry needs to figure this out 10 years ago. Why doesn't like Nicolas Cage range you as top favorite movies? I mean, what, well, I mean, I, I never, yeah, look, that would be awesome. And, you know, the Criterion Collection is on stream, you know, has a streaming service too, and it's absolutely fucking amazing. Um, um, but, you know, 
it's funny, like Netflix has this whole thing, algorithms, right? Yeah. Um, that's not the same thing, is it? As no, not the same. No. Um, but maybe, but maybe in a way, that's that's the um, sort of there's a false equivalence there, or that it's sort of maybe in the streaming world that is the same thing as curation, but that's it's not. We should you and I should talk about that more. <laughs> yeah, I that idea because an M Night M Netflix thing wouldn't be a bad. I click on that. Fuck, are you kidding? Yeah, <laughs> I think he's actually. I think. Knight has talked about that. Um, it would be really, really cool. Whether or not it's, you know, that has commercial upside, I, I don't know. But cultural upside, yeah, it would be amazing to know what Scorsese's, you know, sure. 50 favorites are in any given year. Yeah, like or you just do what I used to do with the Warner Brothers label. And I'd get an, I'd get like 10 from like Neil Young and I'd just add 10. And you just like, don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. on that note, um, why don't we tie this up? Because I know you got shit to do. I got shit to do. Uh, here's how I like to tie these things up. Involves a little bit of uh, acting, perhaps. I'm going to say goodbye. You're going to say goodbye. I'm going to pretend to hang up and we'll chat for like two more seconds. Deal? Deal. Okay. Hey, here we go. Uh, yeah. Holy crap, dude. Uh, Trapani or Trapani or however the hell you pronounce his name. Andrew, was, he was dead on right. You are a you're a gem. Um, and God, I learned so much. And I got to talk to the editor of a thousand and one movies you gotta see before you die. So hooray for me. Your turn. Jeff, there's uh a lot more to you than um th- than I I <laughs> could possibly have guessed. Um and I'm really grateful and it means a lot to be asked such interesting, thoughtful questions. And thank you for, for doing that. Wow. What a hoot. Can I say that I'm Steven Schneider uh, approved, like a big sign on my website, like a stamp. Oh, please. Uh, hopefully it helps. I don't know if it will, but yeah, do it. It might detract people who knows, but I don't give yeah. a, okay, I'm going to hang yeah. up. I'm gonna quote unquote, hang yeah. up. All right. Three and a two and a, yep. <laughs>